Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Hey, Corey. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I've been, it's kind of been a madhouse here lately with babysitting an extra <laughs> you dog. And me both. And, We've yeah. both been babysitting dogs for people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really like a circus at my house. And then uh, it's a circus in the world going It on is. right now. So It really is. I spent like four hours last night trying to find some good positive news to share. So, And that's difficult. <laughs> isn't it it is it is <laughs> but here's the deal here's the deal even sharing bad news and being truthful about it is still in a way good because you're 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 bringing light to something that's being hidden that's being put in in the darkness and you're shining a light on it and that i think is valuable and ha has agreed a contribution agreed Yeah, yes people need to be informed on what's going on so they can make proper decisions for you know their family and whatnot too so it is important yeah definitely it, it just gets a little dark now and then it does it absolutely does um but it's good to have a community of people where we can kind of um go through this all together the insanity together right <laughs> look at it and be like what is happening <laughs> um so we're gonna go through some of the insanity today Um, we're going to upfront talk about uh, an announcement about an upcoming censored conference that you published on Corey's Digs, as well as a request that you have for our listeners, Corey, um, that I'll let you get into. I'm going to talk a bit about the proxy war in Sudan and the U.S.-backed biolab there, and some interesting connections that tie everything together that I don't think anybody else has reported on. And then... We're going to talk about a little bit about how people are sort of just in general waking up to the mainstream media lies that are perpetuating wars like what we're seeing in Ukraine, now in Africa, dragging us more and more towards this World War III scenario, and just how people are fighting back, waking up, um, not buying the lies about it anymore. And then I wanted to go over this Biden regime, new environmental justice push to really basically weaponize the entire federal government. And you're going to love this, launder 40% of all federal funding. <laughs> so, and then Surprise. we'll close out. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> so, and then we'll close out with some positive news. Got to balance it with the positive. Um, mm -hmm. Some hope for people who have had adverse health effects and are having regret from the COVID jab. So, all right. Yep, yeah, So yeah, so we have the uh, the censored conference, which Sarah Westall's been working her tail off on, and that is going to be Friday and Saturday, April twenty eighth and 29th. and I'm actually speaking at that one. Uh, it's an online streaming event. It's totally free. Uh, they list all the platforms on there. I've actually received a few emails from people saying. Well, this isn't free. You have to sign up. But if you scroll down, it says this is live. These are the platforms. So at I believe it's 7 p.m. Central. It begins on April 28th. And when you click on that at that time, it will be airing. Uh, and then also, of course, if you want, you know, on demand access, you can purchase a ticket and use coupon code Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, to save $25 
And then that'll give you access to Act One that aired back in March, as well as other upcoming 2023 conferences. So there's a lot of great speakers at this one. Um, you've got, and, and I don't know that all of them have been added. So I've got the list on here. They probably have their site updated as of today, I would imagine, with the speakers. But I mean, everyone from Bill Binney, Peter Bragan, uh, there's a whole there's a whole list of people on here. Of course, Tom Renz again, uh, Patrick Wood, and a bunch of people. So I highly recommend people going in and checking that out. It's they're set up as a nonprofit, and so if you do buy a ticket, the money goes towards um, funding actual initiatives and lawsuits, things they're doing to take action. So, yeah, that'll be great. Good, that's a good one to support. Yeah, Bill Benny, Peter Bregan. I'm st you're on there. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Dr. Lee Merritt, Tom Renz. I mean, some really great uh, people. I think this will be an awesome conference. Sarah Westall, Patrick Wood. Yeah. yeah. All right. Absolutely. So I want to ask the listeners, uh, if you guys have done anything successful that you feel really good about on a personal level, a home level, a local level, community, uh, state level, for example, let's say you created a homestead and you came up with some really savvy stuff that's working out fantastic. Um, or you got together people in the community and you're, you know, taking action for change and you've had some success in some areas, or you've met with local legislators and you're working on with them on you know, trying to roll out some statewide uh, new bills. Uh, anything that you feel would be uh, beneficial for others to know about. So what I want is just like no more than like a one pager where you tell me what it is you were trying to achieve and how you achieved it and maybe like tips for other people on what they can do uh, to achieve that in their area or in their home. And if you want to include photos, that's cool too. And you can email it to me at uh, info at coreysdigs.com. So that's C-O-R-E-Y-S-D-I-G-S.com. Everyone always wants to put two G's in there. Or <laughs> <laughs> they leave the S off, Corey. So yeah, because what I'd like to do is it would be great if I could gather ideas from everyone else that have been successful you know, and, and I would love to publish it. So um, I don't know how many I'll receive. I don't know how many I'll, I'll publish, but I'm going to look through them all. And uh, if it's something I am going to publish, of course, I will email you back before I go ahead and do that. Just in case, you know, you want to use your name or be anonymous, or maybe you want to link your social media, that type of thing. So anything we can do to like help each other out, I think would be very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Elevate some other voices in this community. Mm -hmm. That would be excellent. Um, sharing tips on successes. Yeah. Just overall win-win. Yep. Okay. Great. All right. So email Corey if you have some, some information to give her about that. And uh, I hope you get a lot of responses, Corey. Me too. I'm excited. Sweet. All right. So should we move on to this whole Sudan proxy war? Yeah, tell us what's going on. All right. So the U.S. 
and Russia proxy war has spread from Ukraine now to Africa. And at the center of it, of this war, is another bio lab with connections to the U.S. and all of the usual suspects. And I'm going to give a brief breakdown leading up to the proxy war and then get into the details about the biolab and make some connections that I don't think anyone else has made before. So first, a brief backstory. Um, so uh, this is the backstory on the U.S. involvement in Sudan and the instability in that region. So al-Bashir used to be the president. He took power by a military coup. And he's a war criminal responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people uh, using the Janjaweed militia, which is now known as the RSF. And the CIA has ties with the Janjaweed militia or the RSF uh, going back for years. And during al-Bashir's reign, um, the CIA established their largest uh, office in the Sudan's capital city of Khartoum in 2017. Hmm. So just keep that in mind in the back of your head that Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, is a hotbed for CIA operations in the entire region. Okay? Okay. So by 2018, um, after the CIA office was installed in 2017. By 2018, <laughs> uh, nationwide protests calling for al-Bashir to be ousted ensued. And by 2019, there was another military coup ousting al-Bashir. Okay. And then there was another military coup in 2021. Okay. So the country has been under military control since then. And there are two military factions in Sudan. The Sudanese Armed Forces, or the SAF, led by Burhan, and the paramilitary group, the RSF, which I just spoke about, led by Dagalo, also known as Hameti. Okay, so the two military forces were cooperating, and now they're at war with each other. So why? You have to look a little bit into... Uh, the further into the background. And in the background, the real power struggle is between Russia and the U.S. In February 2022, the Sudanese military uh, met in Moscow with Russia on a naval base on the Red Sea coast. And this is strategically important to them because of trade, trade routes and, and being able to uh, use the, the Red Sea. So a couple of weeks after this meeting, guess who showed up in Sudan? Well, Victoria Newland, of course, Ooh. showed up in Sudan to discuss, quote, democratic transition in Sudan. So the U.S. isn't happy about Russia's presence in Sudan, especially near the capital uh, of Khartoum, where, of course, the CIA's biggest offices held, and apparently where another U.S.-backed biolab is located. So remember, when Victoria Newland admitted that there were biolabs they were right. worried about in Ukraine? I have that video queued up just to remind everybody, so <laughs> play that. 
Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda. Yeah, I don't know if anyone who listens to our podcast forgets that one. Right, exactly. So I think that this biolab is kind of at the heart of things once again. And fast forward one year, and the Sudanese military finalized the Russia Red Sea base deal in February 2023. So by April 2023, the two military factions, the SAF and the RSF, were at war. Now, I want you to listen to this African man and his take, his perspective on the war happening in Sudan now. I'm just going to play that. Okay. Here is why you should care about the fighting that is going on in Sudan. What's happening there is more than meets the eye. And it's time for the world to discuss the actual truth of what is going on there. America and Russia are at it again, just as they did 60 years ago during the Cold War when they fought proxy wars right in Africa, leading to the death of thousands of innocent Africans. They are at it again in Sudan, fighting a proxy war. Let me explain. Two factions of the Sudanese military are fighting each other. One of them is led by Lieutenant General Mohamed Hamdan, head of the paramilitary group known as Rapid Support Forces. The other faction is led by the Sudanese army chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. So why are they fighting? This is where Russia and USA come into the picture. You see, in the last couple of months, Russia has finalized a deal with Sudan to establish Russia's naval base in Sudan's Red Sea coast. America is not too happy with that. Actually, they're furious. America's ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, expressly warned Sudan not to seal that deal with Russia, but they're going ahead and doing just that. And so when the paramilitary unit began fighting the other faction of the army, that wasn't happening in a vacuum. The big problem is that you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. Neither are you going to hear a lot of African governments voicing this which is very unfortunate because Africa must learn to speak its truth and stand on this truth because truth will set you free. So it is left to the African people, we the African people, to speak this truth and tell America and Russia to get off Africa, to get their hands off Africa. The days of the Cold War, the days of the shenanigans of the Cold War are completely over and they cannot fight proxy wars in Africa at the expense of innocent African lives. That has to stop. The fighting in Sudan must stop. The puppet masters must stop their evil, diabolic games. I can't tell you how many 
um, articles you've probably written on the corruption in Africa. Um, the puppet masters, as he sort of explained, how they love to use Africa for their proxy wars, as he was discussing, or their test beds and their experiments, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And mining and land and all of it. All of it's terrible what they do in Africa. Right. So now onto the bio labs in Sudan. We've got kind of the history, the backstory, just a, a little bit to, to set this up. So since the war broke out, the World Health Organization announced that a bio lab with dangerous pathogens has been compromised. And I'm just going to read a bit of this article from the CNN. So take it with a grain of salt, okay? <laughs> <laughs> A high-ranking medical source told CNN that the lab, which contains samples of diseases and other biological material, had been taken over by RSF forces. The WHO did not appoint blame for the lab seizure, but said medical technicians no longer had access to the facility. The RSF denied taking control of the lab, telling CNN on Wednesday, no control over the laboratory. Uh, Nima Saeed Abid the WHO representative in Sudan described the development as extremely dangerous because we have polio isolates in the lab, we have measles isolates in the lab, and we have cholera isolates in the lab. There's a huge biological risk associated with the occupation of the Central Public Health Lab in Khartoum by one of the fighting parties. The WHO said in a statement to CNN that the trained laboratory technicians no longer have access to the laboratory and that the facility had suffered power cuts, meaning it is not possible for, uh, to properly manage the biological materials that are stored in the laboratory for medical purposes. The medical source told CNN that the danger lies in the outbreak of an armed confrontation in the laboratory because that will turn the laboratory into a, quote, germ bomb. All right. So here we have this information coming from The Who about a supposed a potential for a lab leak out of a national public health laboratory in Khartoum. Um, as a result of this um, war that's breaking out between the two military factions. And what date was this published? This was published on the 26th, I believe, oh, wow. that okay. the lab leak, or not the lab leak, the, the, the WHO announced this originally, I believe, on the 25th, um, okay. or that the, the actual takeover of the lab happened on the 25th. Okay. So um, uh, let me show you. This is the the laboratory in question, the National Public Health Laboratory, and this is in Khartoum. So I want you to take note of the outside image here of the building because this is actually the key that ties everything together that I'm about to get into. And hmm. this is the laboratory from um, from Google Maps. Again, you can see the outside building, same building. Um, right. Okay, so just keep that uh, in the back of your mind. I'll explain in a minute. But this laboratory, the National Public Health Laboratories in Sudan and South Sudan, 
um, have been funded and supported uh, through the DOD, the CDC, Fauci's NIH, USAID, no the World Health Organization, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And this all comes from reporting by Natalie Winters. She's uncovered, say, pamphlets from the CDC coordinating with the National Public Health Laboratory in South Sudan, as well as um, research papers published acknowledging um, funding, uh, including NIH funding. She's linked the, the grants and um, accredita accreditations to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for funding studies connected to these labs, as well as USAID here. Um, she is referencing, uh, Natalie Winters referenced uh, a publication by the World Health Organization um, working with the National Public Health Laboratory in South Sudan and accrediting the Global Fund, ECHO, CDC, and USAID. So I'm going to pull that up here. This is the, the WHO's um, publication on that. Again, thanking Global Fund, ECHO, CDC, and USAID. And they were working on strengthening laboratory capacity Okay, expanding mm -hmm. laboratory capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Right, uh, and this was in the South Sudan. But I know the Global Fund, I know CDC, I know USAID, I did not know ECHO, so I looked into ECHO. What is ECHO? Um, ECHO is a project, Project ECHO, out of the University of New Mexico. This Project ECHO um, is working in collaboration with the WHO on their Africa project, um, particularly addressing COVID-19 and HIV, okay? Okay. Stay with me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm, oh, I'm with you. I'm with you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to connect all of this, I promise. Okay. <laughs> so during the chaos... Um, of this, these two military factions warring it out, particularly in Khartoum, um, an American Sudanese doctor by the name of Dr. Bushra Ibnaf Suleiman was stabbed to death by an unknown, unknown assailant or assailants. Okay. When did that happen? And I believe this happened. Uh, so this was, I think, the 26th. Hold on, I got to look at my timeline. Uh, no, but I think it was the 24th. Uh, so this was reported. Just before, okay. Yeah, this was reported. Uh, I'm trying to find the, um, so this was reported on the 26th, but I think it, um, the actual stabbing took place on the 24th. Okay. Um, I'll have to double check on that, but. So before the lab was seized, okay. The day before the lab was seized. Right. The day before the lab was seized, um, was when Suleiman died or was stabbed, okay? This is the only named American to die in the conflict that we know of, other than a second unnamed American that has died. They haven't released the name of that second American as of the time of this recording, okay? okay. So who is Suleiman? He was the head of the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Khartoum. And I just want to show you the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Khartoum's uh, Facebook page. Notice mm. the image on the outside. Right. Okay. Same building. Same picture of the bio lab. Okay. Right. Okay. So if we go back to the Google map, 
All right. So here's the bio lab. Mm -hmm. Actually, this whole facility is this five-story building here is part of it too, where okay. they're conducting a lot of it. The faculty of medicine campus is uh, here. Same okay. identical architecture. This is all one giant medical complex. Gotcha. And he's the head of it. Huh. Sue Lehman's the head of it. Okay, so um, if, let's see here. So going back to the who and the Project Echo thing uh, that I just mentioned, like who is Echo? How does this fit in? Uh -huh. um, if you look at the University of Khartoum's Project Echo, um, you scroll down, you see, um, yes, they got their funding funding from the University of Mexico. Okay, because that's kind of the head of, of Project Echo, I guess. But look who's the director of it. Suleiman. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So it's all tying together. Um, and if you, so let's see here. I'm looking at my notes. I'm hitting mute so you don't hear the weed whackers going in the background. <laughs> no, that's fine. All right. So Suleiman, the only named American who was killed in Sudan, um, is the director of this Project Echo. He's the head of this this um, medical facility in Khartoum, um, where that bio lab is located. Um, so this is too many coincidences here. And there's more. So Suleiman, he didn't just um, work in Khartoum. He's actually an American Sudanese uh, person he had a practice in America in Iowa City, in fact, um, and before moving back to Sudan. So if you look him up on websites, and believe me, I've I've tried to find more um, of his background, but he doesn't have a huge uh, footprint, electronic footprint. So, um, but you can look him up for as like you're looking on websites for looking for doctors. And it'll show a little bit of his background. So he didn't just um, study medicine in Khartoum. He also studied medicine at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Um, that's just another factoid there, a little bit about his history. And it's all curious. Um, so let me just tie this all together and say that um, the U.S. sent a team of a hundred U.S. Special Forces to evacuate only 70 people from Sudan on April 22nd. And they left 16,000 Americans behind in Sudan. This wasn't wow. a real evacuation mission. Right. So what were they really doing? Did some of those elite forces stay behind and conduct other operations? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it seems that's a possibility. So that was on April 22nd that they did that. Two days later is when Suleiman died. And uh, he was, you know, stabbed to death by, quote, unknown assailants right and then um the just a day after Suleiman's death is when the biolab is taken over and who warns of a lab leak so i'm just trying to put this all together and say 
here's my suggestion. Um, I'm suggesting that Suleiman knew too much about what was going on in that lab. I'm suggesting that maybe it's a possibility that he was a loose end that needed to be tied up. Mm -hmm. And definitely I'm suggesting that this um, evacuation wasn't really evacuate an evacuation. They left 16,000 people behind. Right. It seemed to me like a cover. And all of this, again, it just, it, it reeks um, when you look at the history of Ukraine and everything that we know that's happened there with the biolabs there. And right. it's just another proxy war with a biolab at the center of it. What are your thoughts? I think that's a pretty accurate call. Yeah. Yeah. Good find. Good well, connections there. I'm just going to say, I mean, um, I think that we need to know a little bit more about this guy Suleiman, because I, I haven't heard anybody talking about it other than he was just an American who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, stabbed by unknown assailants in the midst of the chaos. And I'm proposing that he's actually very much connected to this biolab and he may have died because of it. Right. And it may have been the entire reason why they pretended to do an evacuation where they only evacuated 70 people and it's 16,000. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so now which one who has control allegedly over this bio lab right now? That's a good question because there are conflicting reports. <laughs> there are conflicting reports and you can't get any good information. So like, and for example, CNN. Right, exactly. So CNN saying, well, the RSF took over the bio lab. The WHO is saying somebody took over the bio lab. The RSF is saying we didn't take over the bio lab. It's, mm -hmm. it's sketchy about who actually took control over it. Right. And um, the whole thing to me is that this, I'm concerned about a false flag and blaming it on whoever the convenient scapegoat right. will be right yep. yep and perhaps this guy Suleiman just knew too much about what the plan was right very I likely know. i don't know all it's plausible just, yeah all right so and i guess a good thing about um spotting this stuff now is that I see sort of an awakening in, um, of, of people. I think a lot of people bought into the Ukraine thing early right. on and it took months and months and months before people started to realize, hold on, we're being hoodwinked here. This is a giant money laundering scam and um, a proxy war between US and Russia we, and it's drawing us closer to, to World War III. People are really starting to push back on that and you showed me this video which is fantastic. It's actually two-part video. Do you want to set this up a little bit? Yeah, no, I just, I came across it yesterday. Um, I really liked the pushback because we see stuff like this from time to time, but um, it's it's generally uh, a lot of screaming, incoherency, kicked out really fast. Um, no one's getting the message. And I feel like a lot of information was was laid down in front of them and uh, of course they were completely unresponsive and didn't know what to do about that but so you told me i really don't know much about jose vega 
Um, I was just focused on the information that was being said to the, uh, we have the, the edit, executive editors for the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times and Routers here. And um, he grabs the mic and confronts all of them, so. Yeah, it, it's pretty awesome being able to actually have a moment to say things as articulately as he does about how the mainstream media is pushing us towards World War III, how they are actually running propaganda for the war machine and suppressing real news like Seymour Hersh's expose about the Biden regime blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. So mm -hmm. let's go ahead and listen to some of this because it's good. Yeah, it is good. Oh, is this the lecture hall with Seymour Hirsch? I, I just, I'm looking for the one with Seymour Hirsch because it's a policy and press hall event. So shouldn't we be talking about the Nord Stream since that's the biggest story of the century? And you guys, you know, I mean, you have the executive editor of the New York Times there who came out with a phony story to try and block Seymour Hirsch. It just, it's just kind of funny how that happened, you know? I mean, did you even acknowledge Seymour Hirsch? All of you are executive editors of papers that broke Pentagon, Me Lai, Watergate. Is this the same papers or not? I mean, is there anything you've gotten right in the last 20 years or am I mistaken about that? I mean, it's just kind of funny because Iraq, wrong. Syria, wrong. Russiagate, really wrong. Okay, I mean, the list goes on and on. So the last thing you could do to try and actually fix your reputation is acknowledge that through leaks, we had to find out that Zelensky was going to bomb Moscow on the anniversary. I mean, if you're so impartial, shouldn't you at least say, right, that Zelensky was going to bring us on the verge of World War III? That seems pretty fair. While Julian Assange rots in prison, all of you've got, you know, fat checks because he's in jail for doing your job. And you know what? Tucker Carlson ain't no Seymour Hirsch, but he did something you guys are scared to do. Speak the truth and actually be critical of the war, which is why he was actually fired from Fox, because you are all cowards, every single one of you. None of you have actually had any relevancy. And you know what? The mainstream press is now dying. Nobody's ever going to listen to you again. You have no credibility with the public. The only people who care about what you have to say are elite assholes who have nothing productive to say anymore. And it's dying off. So will you at least say something either about Nord Stream or Ukraine or the fact that Zelensky brought us to the verge of World War Three? And the only reason we knew about that was through leaks? I'm, go ahead. It's a free speech event, right? You guys are the press. Let's say something here. Mr. Khan, come on. You know, you're the executive head of the New York Times, you know? I'm just trying to get into some good trouble here, man. Ooh, listen, Karen, get out of my face for a second. I got to talk to these gentlemen. <clears throat> well, I just want to hear what they have to say. Go ahead. I'm done. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. You're not gonna tell him to you. Come. Wait your turn. You could you could project if we can't. Yeah. So thank you. All right. I do think that we need to give 
our moderator a chance to ask other questions. We're on the verge of and World War Three. Say something about this bombing. We blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Listen, don't stand there while there are people rotting in prison. Nobody said anything about Uhuru, right? The socialists who are in jail for being critical of this war. God damn it. At least say something about the people in jail for being critical of this war. They don't deserve to be in prison right now. Yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> he hit him pretty good with that. And then there was a follow-up. He had a couple friends there that uh, just kind of picked up where he left off for a minute uh, before they shut that down as well. I don't know yeah. if, you, if you want to play that. It's only a minute long. Sure. MSNBC fired Donahue. He had the highest rated show on MSNBC and he got fired for criticizing the invasion of Iraq in 2002. This is a disgrace. He lied about Iraq, Libya, Syria, Ukraine, supporting bailouts, money printing. Now we're on the brink of World War III. If if, if World War III kicks off, the blood is on your hands. Yeah, and these people in the audience sitting here just laughing about it. that That's what's really scary. That yeah. They're completely clueless. Yeah, I don't know where this conference was held. Likely some yeah, I'm not sure. Washington, D.C. or New York. Probably. But the, the people in this audience clearly live in a bubble where they think right. that yeah, where they're constantly getting this feedback loop of the same BS propaganda being fed over and over and over again and thinking that everybody thinks this way. Right. Um, those guys that attended this meeting were clearly the outsiders, but probably speak on behalf of many people in America who are really pissed off about how um, the media is in bed and aiding this sort of war machine uh, to prop up this war in ukraine now we're in sudan we keep you know i keep hearing about ukraine joining nato i mean all of these things pushing 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 us towards the brink of further um escalating war globally and uh it's insane it's absolutely insane now i do think that these guys that um are, are protesting i think they're actually democrats maybe even socialists but that's what's even more interesting about it is that people on the left are starting to wake up to this, right? Right, and this like, has gotten 4 million views already. So, you know, it's it's important that people do speak up and we keep bringing the truth to the surface and getting it out there. So kudos to them for doing that. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. So one other um, topic I wanted to cover um, was this um, Biden environmental justice executive order. So um, last week, the Biden regime issued an environmental justice executive order. So this order is, in my opinion, it's a means to further the social credit system agenda and to funnel 40% of all federal funding to corrupt Democrat-run cities. And it also is a vehicle, in my opinion, uh, by which the regime is using to take control of the water supply and the food supply. And I'll explain that. We've talked about it a bit before. Um, but when you scroll down here on this executive order, of course, this is a whole of government commitment to environmental justice. They use that a lot, meaning we're weaponizing the entire federal government towards this agenda. I mean, haven't you seen Which whole they have no authority to do? Yeah, haven't you seen whole of government a lot lately oh, under yeah. the Biden regime? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they use that a lot. Um, on the second bullet here, and the third one, I think also, um, they're talking about environmental justice, um, helping the little guy in these um, these communities, um, especially when it comes to toxic substances in their community, and uh, making sure the public has information on that and on the health risks. I love how they're so concerned about notifying local communities of, of the dangers of toxic spills when, when clearly they didn't give a shit about the people in East Palestine and, right. mm -hmm, and actually used the EPA to help cover up the dangerous effects right. of that catastrophe. That's how we know this entire executive order is a lie. They don't care about so-called environmental justice or underserved populations as clearly illustrated by the way they handled East Palestine. Right. So what do they actually care about? And I assert that they care about control and more specifically control through the social credit system. And I think that this kind of plays into that and helps them slowly, methodically reach that goal. So they've created a new environmental justice office. Let me see if I can find mm -hmm. that one. Yeah. Okay. In the White House, an environmental justice office, right? So official. So more... Justice. Oh, yeah, more okay. unelected bureaucrats facilitating a whole of government takeover. All right. And they're publishing, you're going to love this. They're publishing first ever environmental oh, scorecard justice scorecard. <laughs> what does that sound like to you? Oh, goodness. Yeah. The U.S. Digital Service. Yeah, so this this looks to me like a social credit system scorecard. Um, don't worry, it's just for the federal agencies for now. Uh, looks like they're just rolling it out to the federal agencies for now, but probably oh, yeah. not their long-term plan. That's their pilot program. Exactly. Before moving it to the public. Yep, yep. So this is for all the federal agencies, just to make sure every agency is operating in lockstep on their... Wait, what is the Justice 40 initiative? Oh, I'm going to get into that. You're going to love oh, it. Oh, okay. 
to make sure they're going to make sure every uh, agency is working in lockstep. This scorecard's going to help them do that. They're going to use the scorecard to track federal funding across all these agencies and make sure every agency is redistributing 40% of all the funding to what they call disadvantaged communities, in my opinion, otherwise known as Democrat-run corrupt cities who are going to help the Democrats launder money and steal elections. Right. Right. So this is through their Justice 40 initiative, and I've got that pulled up. Here's the Justice 40 initiative. Um, As I said, the gist of it is to launder 40% of all federal funding across all federal agencies to Democrat cities. In the gist of it. I was just reading the quote at the top. They're just so full of it. Yeah. We'll create good jobs for millions of Americans. No, you won't. No, you won't. No. Um, So not only that, they are also... Let me look at, find the bullet point here. Taking new steps to combat plastic pollution and communities. Because they care so much about the toxins that we're being exposed to in our water. We saw that with East Palestine, right? Dioxin pouring into the Ohio River. The EPA was really helping us out with that, weren't they? In our water supply. Yeah, so they really care about plastic pollution in our water. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, but scroll up a paragraph or to the, just go up like four inches for a second. Uh, Okay, wait. The launch of the 21st Urban Waters Federal Partnership in Raleigh. Okay, I was just wondering what that was about the waters. Yeah, in my opinion. I I haven't seen this executive order yet, so. So so this looks to me. Um, and we've seen this a lot with the food supply and some of this does play into the food supply. Um, but I think it's also really going after the water supply and we, I've seen, um, this regime do other actions about targeting the water supply as well with the WOTUS rule, the W O T U S rule, uh, waters of the United States of America rule, which, um, basically, has been amended to empower the federal government to really claim um, any pretty much any pond on your farm is considered under the WOTUS rule, which the, um, the government can now regulate what you do with your land. Unbelievable. Um, We don't let them. (laughs) Right. We have no right to do that. And, And so I argue that this PFAS contaminant, uh, rule that they're using through the EPA um, on trying Which you've to... you've talked about in the past. Yeah, is actually another way that, another angle that they're using to gain control over the water supply. So um, the EPA is using PFAS contamination um, to go after, and I, yeah, I talked about this in the control, gr- funding the control grid report and the food and water supply one, Um, which was part three. Um, But the gist of it is that the EPA has reduced the acceptable amount of PFAS contamination to essentially zero. Mm -hmm. And they're going after uh, farmers, ranchers, water companies for PFAS contamination under this guise of 
you know, cleaning up our water supply to help the little guy, right? And because right. they don't, they care so much about water contamination. Right. But entire farms are um, being put out of operation over this, especially in Maine, because Maine has this most strict PFAS laws right now, and they've been doing the most PFAS contamination testing, although there are farms being shut down in other parts of the country. And so 50, more than 50 farms um, have been, in fact, impacted in Maine, and lawmakers are pushing to actually um, put into the upcoming farm bill a, um, a law or a uh, funding, really, um, to buy out farms that have been oh. contaminated with PFAS, and that farm bill sure is... They are expected to pass um sometime by september and uh, what are they going to do with that land exactly <laughs> but the pfas contamination goes beyond affecting the farmers and the food supply it's going to impact the water companies as well um because what water companies are already doing is taking this new epa proposed rule of having practically zero uh, PFAS contamination in the water supply, and they're um, kicking up the prices um, in water utilities uh, and for the customer. So basically, the customers are going to be the ones paying higher water bills to cover for utilities, water companies having to drill, make new wells, um, mm. install new um, systems to um, filter the water, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. And I think um, ultimately, I think this is like an, a long term game. Uh, for this regime, I think the long term, um, in the long term, this is going to impact water companies. Uh, and I think that in the long term, this regime is looking to just seize control uh, or nationalize or federalize the water utilities ultimately um, in the name of environmental justice. Because um, if if utility companies are raising the cost of water for customers, they're going to say, well, this isn't fair, right? This isn't environmental justice, right? Right. So we have to, to make it fair and just across the board, no matter where you live. So we'll just take over, right? Right. I'm trying to think. Our, hmm, I'm trying to think about where I'm at. Are are states are they run are they state run right now or are they private mm -hmm. companies that run? I think it's a mixture. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like for so where I live, it's be, a private company. Um, where they'd have a hard time federalizing it. Uh, you know, in in many states, I could see them trying to do that in some, but hmm. Yeah, hmm. I, I don't know what exactly the play here is other than to say that clearly there is a whole of government approach, but the whole of government approach that I see um, from the many types of executive orders, the many types of weaponizing all the different agencies um, okay. is a consolidation and poisoning of the food supply as well as a consolidation of, of the 
and controlling of the water supply. That's what it looks like to me. And I feel like this has something to do with it. I don't know the details of how they plan on doing it. I just know that the, the impacts of this, it is going to affect everything um, from farming um, and agriculture to uh, water companies, water utilities, our water bills, right? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately it leads to just more consolidation and control of the food and water supply. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're spot on. I mean, and they're saying that this came from, an, let's see, and initiating the distribution of $10 billion in funding to address emerging contaminants under the bipartisan infrastructure law bill, which that's the one I broke down. And I remember there were like 27 pilot programs in that one. And of course, off the top of my head, I can't tell you what a single one was, but um, I do know there were there were ones pertaining to water in there. Um, yeah, had I known we were going to go over this, I would have gone back through my infrastructure bill one to see what all they were working on back then. But yeah, it's 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 all going towards the same thing, just a massive control grid system. Right. I mean, we've seen consolidating how power. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen how what they want to do with the food is really get everything from seed to plate on the distributed ledger, every single oh, yeah. piece Crack of food. Oh, yeah, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why do they, they want to do that? I think that it's ultimately to control us, right? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the water is the same thing, the same principle, I think, that you really have control over the people, when you have control over the food and water supply. Yeah, so I just pulled up the breakdown. Um, they had, <laughs> under drinking water, they have $55 billion designated just towards drinking water in that bill. Oh, the infrastructure bill? There's a ton of money still coming out of that thing, that monster oh, I know. bill. I know. It was astronomical. It was, uh, let's see, it was... 547 billion in new spending over the course of five years or additional funding added to their already allocated funding for highways and infrastructure projects, which is what totaled 1.2 trillion. That was one of the bigger ones that passed that started kicking off all of these other massive ones. Um, But yeah, just on drinking water alone, they have 55 billion designated. Um, I'm just glancing through real quick because now I'm curious. Uh, transportation, transfer, truck leasing, all the pilot programs. Goodness. I'll have to keyword water. <laughs> uh, well, then they have airports and waterways, $42 billion, separate from drinking water. That's just waterways. So uh, Michigan was receiving $1.3 billion to improve its water infrastructure. I wonder what, uh, how they're hitting the, the PFAS over in Michigan, what they're amping up over there pertaining to this, you know. Oh, and then we have the alternative water source projects, pilot programs under clean water. That's only 125 million, but alternative water source projects. I wonder what that could be about. And then we have, of course, your rural and low-income water assistance pilot program. So, uh, 
Yep. Wastewater, clean water, yada, 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 yada. They had, they had, oh, and water dairy, water data sharing pilot program. Mm -hmm. Hmm. You know where that could lead. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over the next, let's see, when was that? So that was November, 2021. They, they passed that. Um, so we got five years of, of this 1.2 trillion rolling out towards projects like this one. Right. Unless we repeal some of that, um, which is currently in negotiations over the debt ceiling. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I don't have a lot of faith in Congress these days. Right. Well, at least we got some people fighting for repealing and some they, of this they, crap. They, they have no authority under federal. Like these are, ah, the states need to learn how to take control. They're so too, let's roll, let's they're... roll a good little clip by Peter McCullough that it's real short. It's like a one minute clip where he points out something that people can try. And he states that it's still, um, there's still, I believe they've run some initial studies, but it's, it's still a work in progress. Uh, but he recommends, uh, I believe you pronounce it NATO kinase. Don't hold me to that, but Go ahead and roll that, and then we can show someone had posted the bottle under there so we can show what it looks like. Doc, do you think you can undo the shot? I know people who have gotten it now are thinking, man, I wish I, that, that I didn't. Can I undo it? There's nothing we can find that actually can dissolve the RNA, but it looks like there is an enzyme that can degrade the spike protein relatively effectively. It's called uh, natokinase. And this is a derivative of the fermentation of soy. Uh, it's a safe supplement. It's been used in the Japanese for cardiovascular disease for two decades. I can't make any therapeutic claims because human studies haven't been completed in the uh, spike protein syndromes. But boy, does it seem to work anecdotally. And so natokinase, 2,000 units twice a day, that is the lead approach right now to detoxing the body from SARS-CoV-2 from the viral infection as well as the vaccine. I think millions of people would line up to get that, don't you? They are right now. I can tell you there's a big run on it worldwide. Uh, the main caveats are if someone has soy allergies, they could have trouble. And then it's, it's in the form of a mild blood thinner. So we have to keep watches on bleeding. Again, I can't make any therapeutic claims, but it right. looks so promising. Joe, paper by Tanakawa and colleagues showed near complete dissolution of the spike protein in preclinical models. That would be great news. Peter McCullough, MD.com. Peter McCullough, MD.com. Keep us updated as you find more information on that. Doctor, you... So, so that was uh, natokinase, I guess is how you say that. And if you scroll down, Edge, someone's holding up a bottle there. So it's N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E. If yeah. anyone wants to look into that further. Awesome. Uh, that's good news. I mean, for people to know that there is hope right. uh, for people who are experiencing adverse health effects from the COVID jab and having major regrets. And um, there's good doctors out there like Dr. McCullough, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that they're um, looking into ways to cleanse the body after the jab. It's, it's yeah. great to see that. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that out if your, your loved ones uh, need some help in that area um it's a good resource definitely all right any closing thoughts oh not that i can think of at the moment all right <laughs> another crazy week so 
so glad you guys joined us today uh, to go over some of these things. Please be sure to share this podcast. Uh, we're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, no longer on YouTube. So please be sure to share this podcast, and we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.